1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional terms apply.
2: Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin County Medical Center, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin County Medical Center, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning to you. If you haven't set your clocks back, it's 733 Central Standard Time. And we've just begun our Healthy Matters show. Dr. David Hilden and studio. you brought a couple of guests. Good morning, by the way. Good morning, Denny. I did bring some guests. You know, the daylight thing, whenever we're doing the hour
1: change, I, I, I always have to think before I go to bed, okay, if I screw this up, how bad is it going to be? And in the springtime, it's really
2: bad. That's tougher. Because then you're an hour late is, for yeah.
1: everything. So I'm yeah. telling to my wife, I said, okay... I set a couple alarms. Got to do the show in the morning. If I mess this up, I'm just going to be up an hour early. I guess that the world will keep that's, revolving. It's not the worst thing. I think we out. should get rid of daylight savings.
2: A lot of people do.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, just it's confusing. Leave it. I was just in Arizona last week, and they don't do it there.
2: I didn't realize that. Is that still true in Indiana parts? It of Indiana? might be. You don't mm-hmm. they don't
1: have no. to do it? No. And so Arizona's until today was only one hour, or it was two hours different from Minneapolis. And today Arizona's only one, one hour hour. So I'm there you go. Anyway, we're going to do a show today about carbon monoxide poisoning. It's a great topic. I'm not because it's a great thing to have, but it's a great topic for to do this time of year, particularly. We're in the change of seasons and people are starting to literally fire up their heating devices and their propane and their furnaces and their cars. And and, and in Minnesota, particularly, it's a really timely time to talk about it. I'm, Fortunately, there's a lot to say about it um, with my guests today because they are experts in the, in the topic. Um, first, um, immediately uh, to my left, I know you can't see him, but Dr. Christopher Log is here. Uh, he is an emergency medicine physician, but specifically for this purpose, he is the medical director of HCMC's Hyperbaric Oxygen Program, and uh, I'm going to have him tell you a lot more about that in a little bit. But Chris, first of all, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. How'd, how'd you land in Minnesota? And how'd you land as the director of our hyperbaric oxygen? Sure. There aren't
0: a lot of us that are trained in uh, undersea and hyperbaric medicine. So I did my fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and then I was working there as an attending physician in the Department of Emergency Medicine and at the hyperbaric facility. And then um, when they built the new hyperbaric chamber here at Hennepin County Medical Center, uh, the old medical director was uh, retiring, and they were looking for a new person, and I got recruited here along with my wife.
1: Awesome. Now you said undersea— and what did you call hyperbaric it? Hyperbaric. Is
0: that the whole field? Is that what it's called? That's what the field is called. Yes. Okay.
1: So Lake Harriet's—I don't know—70 feet deep, and you know, I think Lake Nakoma is about 20 feet deep. Undersea? What is that? What are you talking yeah, about?
0: Yeah. So the specialty began in the field of diving medicine. So it came out of the military in the 1960s and 1970s, uh, where we use uh, high pressure environments and specifically hyperbaric oxygen to treat diving-related diseases. So the specialty actually started as undersea medicine and then as we learned more about high-dose oxygen or hyperbaric oxygen and its effects on the body – Uh, We learned that it was helpful in other disease processes as well, and then the the name of the specialty changed to undersea and hyperbaric medicine.
1: Okay. So before I introduce Dr. Cole, um, who's our other guest today, tell us what does hyperbaric mean? What does that word
0: mean? Yeah. uh, Hyperbaric just means high pressure. So we, uh, the folks who practice my field of medicine, know a lot about high pressure physiology. So uh, what happens to the human body when you're exposed to elevated pressures and inhaling gases like oxygen at elevated pressures?
1: Really cool. And um, just a little teaser for if you're listening, the hyperbaric program at Hennepin is among the best, um, literally, in the world. And I'm going to have uh, Dr. Logue tell us a little bit more about how our program got going and what some of the services they offer. Before I do that, um, also in studio today is a repeat guest. He's been here maybe more times than most any other guest, Dr. John Cole, who is also an emergency medicine physician. I'm surrounded by emergency medicine doctors here. Um, But Dr. Cole is also the medical director of the Minnesota Poison Control Center. Welcome back, John.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Tell us about the Poison Control Center and, and then a little bit about why a poison control guy would be a guest on a, on a show about carbon monoxide.
3: Sure. So uh, Minnesota's Poison Control Center is uh, a resource for everybody uh, in the entire state of Minnesota. So uh, regular people in their homes with questions all the way up to physicians taking care of poison patients who have very specific questions about antidotes. We are toll-free, confidential, and available 24 hours uh, a day, seven days a week. So if you have a poisoning question, on Christmas Day, there is a trained specialist who's certified in toxicology to answer your question. And anyone can call us at 1-800-222-1222, uh, physicians, uh, regular folks, or otherwise. Uh, and uh, and we are, we are there always uh, for you to answer questions. The reason that I'm here today is... Carbon monoxide is one of the most uh, deadly and may probably notorious poisons uh, in the United States.
1: So we're talking carbon monoxide with an M. Um, and as a doctor, I, I know a little bit about what happens to why it's so bad for us. But maybe one of you could tell us some what happens to the human body when you get too much carbon monoxide. And it's something you're breathing in, right? So how what happens to the human body? Why is it bad for us?
0: Sure. So uh, carbon monoxide um, is, like uh, John said, it's one of the most common poisonings, not only in the United States but worldwide. Carbon monoxide, uh, when you inhale it, binds very tightly to heme proteins in your body, specifically hemoglobin, which is very important for carrying and delivering oxygen to your tissues. So when you're exposed to carbon monoxide, you have difficulty delivering oxygen to important parts of your body like your heart and your brain and can cause significant problems and unfortunately not infrequently death.
1: I always thought, you know, I'm a
0: really simple
1: guy. I always thought, you know, like the heme proteins in your body, they're sort of like little taxi cabs. They're carrying around oxygen to and where the, to and fro and where they need to go and when you got when you when the taxi cabs are all full of carbon monoxide, it can't
0: carry oxygen, but that's sort of like my 7th grade uh, um analogy for it. Yep, yep. Also though um not only does it bind a hemoglobin, which carries oxygen, it gets into all the cells of your body, and there are heme proteins in your mitochondria, the powerhouses of your cell. So carbon monoxide not only prevents you from delivering oxygen, but prevents you from using oxygen at the cellular level and, uh, and causes damage that way too. So where does carbon monoxide come from? Yeah, so carbon monoxide comes from uh, burning of any carbon-based fuel. We typically think of fossil fuels. Uh, and it, um, when it's created, um, the gas itself, carbon monoxide, is colorless, odorless, and tasteless. So you can't detect it yourself in the environment. That's why it's always very important to have detectors that will, that can detect them in your homes or at your workplaces. So
1: it's burning darn near anything. Well, I don't know. I got a stove in my house. I got a furnace in my house. I have a water heater. Frankly, I have a fireplace. I, I can burn Would any of those sources be a problem?
0: Every single one of them. So every single one of them can make carbon monoxide, and we've seen exposures from all of those as we treat patients.
1: So as Dr. Lug just said, that's learning point number one for today's show. I don't think that we can stress enough the importance of carbon monoxide detectors in your home. Uh, John, where should they be? Where should we put our carbon monoxide detectors?
3: So carbon monoxide detectors should be on every floor of your house and uh, every bedroom of your house. Uh, And it's extremely important to – this seems like common sense, but I have made this own mistake uh, myself and gotten behind on the dates, but it's carbon monoxide detectors are only good if they're working. So it's extremely important to check the batteries every time. I have unfortunately cared for some really tragic cases where – uh, everyone had detectors. They just uh, uh, batteries had failed, or the detectors were no longer working. And carbon monoxide yeah. detectors expire, so it's important to to check the expiration dates. I
1: had I, I had some replacement windows put on my hundred year old house. I don't know three or four years ago, and the <laughs> contractor rightfully put a carbon monoxide detector in everyone that we didn't have enough. We had I think one on the first floor or whatever. He says, "Well, this isn't code. I'm not even allowed to put in these new windows." until I put one in every room. So now I have a little carbon monoxide detector in every bedroom, but I'm not sure I've checked the batteries on those things since he put those windows in, and that was a few years ago. So that's going to be something I do today. I'm going to go home and make sure that the batteries are 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 up to are new in all of my carbon monoxide detectors. Okay, so why is it a problem, um, Chris, why is it a pro- problem as we go into winter? You know, people are in their working in their garages more, they're on their boats, they're in their, well, maybe not in their boats so much, but they're in ice houses. Are those risk factors for getting carbon monoxide poisoning?
0: Absolutely. So we've already had a handful of carbon monoxide poisoning cases from people turning their furnaces on this winter. So we've had about five cases that we've had to treat at the hyperbaric chamber. So it's Already in, this year? from al- Already this year, the last about a month, month and a half. So uh, what I tell people to do is when you're getting ready to turn your furnace on, it's a good idea to have someone come out and check your furnace to see if it's functioning properly and specifically to make sure that the exhaust from the furnace or from the hot water heater hasn't been blocked by an animal that's bird that's built a nest or something in the exhaust because that's where the problem occurs is getting the exhaust from your furnace or your hot water heater safely out of the house so it doesn't stay inside. I'm trying to
1: think of where the exhaust
0: is. Does that go up my chimney? Yep. Well, there's, there usually is a chimney or a flue that goes from your furnace. It may not go up your actual chimney that if you have a fire a a wood-burning fireplace, but it has its own sort of pathway to get exhaust out of your house.
1: Super cool. Now, you just said you've had five cases um, that you've already seen this year. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more, a little bit later in the show, about what signs and symptoms, what a person looks like. But if you could just start us off, when someone does get there with carbon monoxide poisoning, what do you do in the hyperbaric chamber?
0: Right. Oh, well, I guess maybe we should back up a second. Um, carbon monoxide poisoning is very difficult to diagnose sometimes. So if you don't have a detector that's detected it, you need uh, astute emergency physicians or EMS providers to have it, at least in the back of their mind that this possibly could be the diagnosis. Once we determine that someone is poisoned with carbon monoxide, we can take them to the hyperbaric chamber and we just give them very high dose oxygen which does a couple of things one is it gets the carbon monoxide out of your body or detoxifies you very quickly uh, but also provides that oxygen that your body needs so that it can uh, prevent any further what we call ischemia or diabetes.
1: do you do that immediately as soon
0: as you've made the diagnosis or you're suspected so we want to we it depends on where the patient is right so we get a lot of calls from rural Minnesota or Remember, we're the only emergency hyperbaric facility not only in the state but in the region. So we'll get people referred in from far away. We want to get patients on 100 percent oxygen wherever they are right away. And then if they are um, meet criteria for treatment or we're worried about them developing long-term neurological sequelae, we'll want to get them to the hyperbaric chamber as soon as we can safely and get them treated. So you'll, you'll fly people in for that? We will fly them in, yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. We have to take a break. uh, We'd like to invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. As always, you can phone in your questions or uh, send a text. Phone number is 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We're talking about carbon monoxide poisoning with Dr. Hilden and his guests, uh, in, for, in fact, as you can see, Dr. Hilden, we're getting phone calls and text messages as we uh, usually do. Uh, and it's obviously a, a, t- a topic that uh, a lot of folks are interested in. Faith in Coon Rapids is on the horn uh, waiting. Faith, thanks for waiting. How can we help you?
0: Uh, yes, I was just recently diagnosed with uh, advanced case of Lyme's disease. And it was recommended that I do the hyperchamber because I lost the ability to walk.
1: All right. Um, thank you, Faith, for your call. So, um, Chris, you run our hyperbaric chamber. Is there an indication for it for Lyme
0: disease? Not at this time. So what we're finding is there are a lot of diseases where there is potential for hyperbaric oxygen to be beneficial, but uh, no one's done the research to prove one way or another whether it works. The diseases that we treat at the hyperbaric chamber are the ones that that are um, – listed by our society, the and Hyperbaric Medicine Society, that has significant literature to support its use. So we, we practice what we call evidence-based medicine where there's literature to support its use. At this time, Lyme disease would be a good thing to do research on, but but it's not an approved indication for hyperbaric oxygen
1: therapy. Thank, thanks for your call, Faith. I really appreciate that. And you, Chris, now let's go back to what? how would a person know – um, if he or she has carbon monoxide poisoning, or maybe more importantly, how would somebody who's around them know, or how do you make the diagnosis? Basically, the question is for what are the signs? What are the symptoms of it?
0: Yeah, so that's the tricky part because uh, some of the signs and symptoms of uh, carbon monoxide poisoning are very vague, and things you might experience on a daily basis like headaches, nausea, vomiting, dizziness. Those are the most common symptoms. What we tend to get suspicious when everybody starts having the symptoms in a household. So. Um, everybody, so you want to start thinking about that, and it gets tricky in flu season because everybody could have flu like illness everybody symptoms. feels cruddy, yeah. everybody feels bad, but you want to make sure that carbon monoxide sort of hides in the back of your differential diagnosis for that
1: now there was a there was a case <clears throat> excuse me, a really tragic case that um, um, in Wisconsin just in this past week or two of where that sort of happened a whole family, I believe it was a couple and then a grandchild. Um, unfortunately, uh, didn't survive a carbon monoxide event. Um, and they were all in the same place. Uh, and, and so perhaps that would have been you know, a kind of a situation where, if everybody in the house is feeling bad, maybe that's um, the first sign. But, but how do you know when to call? And and so John, you run our poison control center. How do you 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 told me off the air that you get people calling and you're sometimes
3: able to help people before it's too late. How do you know when to call them? What do you tell people? Absolutely. So uh this is something that we are more than happy to help uh both people in their homes and also uh physicians sort of trying to sort it out with. But because the symptoms are so vague, uh it's it's as Dr. Log mentioned, it's really tricky to diagnose. So Uh, I think the the most important thing is is that somebody thinks of the question, that asks the question is, could this actually be carbon monoxide? And as soon as somebody says that, then usually the steps fall in place. But it's it's, – we are um, – one of the things that we can help with is if we get a call, even from someone's home, we can sort of go over their symptoms with them and say, well, you know, do these really fit or not? And what environment have you been in? And we can help triage some of those things over the phone. So – we can uh, immediately, you know, the most important thing if you have the exposure right is to stop the exposure. So we can sort of coach people to get to the right place of the house or get out of the house. And then based on how their symptoms resolve or, or don't, we can help triage them to a hospital. And then actually, for a lot of, for all of Minnesota and for the Dakotas too, a lot of times we can help the, uh, the physicians that are treating them uh, make the decision for whether or not they need to ultimately transfer um, for the hyperbaric therapy.
2: Terrific. Should we all go to the phones, right. Dave? Yes, back to the phones. Marilyn is calling from uh, Minneapolis. Uh, Marilyn, what's your question, please?
1: Oh, good morning. Yes, I have a car that's fairly old and is missing an oxygen sensor. It is also, they said at the dealership. It needs an exhaust manifold, and I'm not up on all of the things that they do for my car. I wondering if a car should actually have some sort of a
0: carbon monoxide tester. You know? well- Marilyn, that's a super good question.
1: Yeah. You know, because you know,
0: what about that? <laughs> sure, yeah. So, so but cars themselves don't have carbon monoxide detectors. Um, older cars are, are at greater risk of causing carbon monoxide poisoning because they don't have catalytic converters. So, once you once they started putting catalytic converters on automobiles, you saw a great reduction in the amount of CO that a car produced. That being said, the most common s- Uh, spot that someone gets carbon monoxide poisoning, I reviewed all the data on the patients that we've treated, is your garage. So um, leaving a car running in a garage or starting it to warm it up in your garage is a bad idea. And that's one of the places where I suggest people put a carbon monoxide detector is in their garage so that it would alert them if there are potential for them to be exposed.
1: You don't normally have people having them in their cars, um, but there was a law. I just I read this in the STRIB this week as well, that the, the Minnesota legislature passed a law about needing them on boats because of a child. Could you talk about that case sure. or, or about the why would you have one on your
0: boat then? Yeah, so a, a sad story. The law is named after Sophia Bachelor. Sophia was a seven-year-old girl who died from carbon monoxide poisoning being exposed on her boat her parents boat on Lake Minnetonka a few years ago uh, so um, even in any any um, automobile uh, boat that that burns a, a fossil fuel can make carbon monoxide and in that case the exhaust from the boat was had an animal that had built or put a nest in it and the exhaust was going directly into the cabin part and everyone was feeling bad on the boat and uh, dad told Sophia why don't you go lay down in the in the part, in the oh, part no. where the carbon monoxide was the highest. So it's a very brave family that uh, brought that up to the state legislature. And we now have the, we're the first state in the union to have a law requiring carbon monoxide detectors on uh, boats of a certain size and that have quarters in them where carbon monoxide mm-hmm. could build up.
1: Back to Marilyn's question then, if her, let's just say she's driving a really old car and it's default, you know, most cars, I take it the carbon monoxide's going out the exhaust. Correct. Correct. Into the air. And so it's bad if you're in your garage. Even if the garage door is open a little ways, you're bad. You're in an enclosed space. But what if your car's faulty and you've got like, I don't know, cracks in the exhaust or something? Sure. It's, it, it's, it's at least possible that you have an old kind of junker.
0: Absolutely. Yep. So uh, you want to make sure that you're, you do get your car checked out and your exhaust is working well. The other th- tricky thing is we live in Minnesota where we can get uh, snowstorms. And if you if you get st- caught in a snowstorm where the snow is high enough, it can block the exhaust from the car. So it, it's happened in Philadelphia when I when I was tra- training and working there. We would get a big nor'easter and then people would get trapped in their cars. And in order to keep themselves warm, they would keep the car running. But the snow had pe- Built up above the exhaust and then pushed all the exhaust into the. It's automobile. just
1: one more reason to move to Phoenix, I think. <laughs> there, <laughs> um, all right. A little bit back, um, we're getting some text messages too, and I want to get back a little bit about our about the um, the chamber that you operate, Chris. Um, you mentioned we're the only facility in the area.
0: How many hyperbaric chambers do we have at Hennepin? Uh, So we have a a hyperbaric uh, unit that has three chambers all connected together. So we have multiple chambers we can treat if we had to up to 24 patients at one time. Um, And it is a state-of-the-art facility built in 2012, arguably the most state-of-the-art facility in North America at this time.
1: Yeah, I remember when they put that thing in a few years ago when they replaced the old one that looked like something out of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. We're going to talk about that thing. That thing was an amazing old thing, and um, and the new one was shipped in from Australia. It was a big deal. We're going to talk about that more after the top of the hour. Um, I do want to remind people, go to myhealthymatters.org. Many, many of you sent text messages last week about breast cancer screening. I answered. I didn't answer. Dr. Sievert answered most of them on the blog on MyHealthyMatters.org.
2: I want to remind you to go there and check it out. Very good. As we head to this break, our phone number is 651-989-9226-81807 for your text messages. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. Uh, if you're just joining us, Dr. Hilden, why don't we uh, introduce reintroduce our guest? Thank you, Danny. Today.
1: Good morning to everybody wherever you may be listening, either up here in the upper Midwest or wherever you might be listening online. Uh, We're talking about carbon monoxide today with my two guests, Dr. Christopher Logue, the Medical Director for Hyperbaric Medicine at HCMC, and Dr. John Cole, the Medical Director of the Minnesota Poison Control Center, both of whom are also board-certified emergency medicine physicians. Before we get a little bit more into the topic, and we're really going to try to focus in on how you can prevent and manage your carbon monoxide um, in your own life, we're going to talk about that a lot more. But before we do that, a couple things I want to alert people to. Um, First of all, seeing a doctor in downtown Minneapolis is going to get a whole lot easier in March of 2018. That's because HCMC's new clinic and specialty center is going to be opening right on 8th Street on 8th and Park across from our main hospital campus, right across from the emergency department. Um, it's a beautiful building. It's, it no longer looks like a hole in the ground and a bunch of girders. I was in this building when it was just a bunch of girders, and, and um, it was fascinating to be part of, of watching that building go up. Well, right now, It's nearly complete. It's about 90% done. Right now, they're just putting the final touches on the paint on the inside and putting up the artwork. And it is a state-of-the-art six-story building. It has same-day surgery. It's going to have the Delta Dental uh, Clinic. It's a state-of-the-art children's and adult dental care. Um, It's got an eye clinic. It has allergy. It has primary care scattered over several floors. And it's really been designed to be patient-centered. So when you go into this building, it's warm, it's open, it's going to be easy to get your, your way around it. Whether you're going to the Wanzak Family Cancer uh, or Breast Care Center, which I talked about last week, it's going to be state-of-the-art, patient-centered breast care screening right there on the first floor. It's a beautiful building. If you want to learn more about it, go to clinicbuilding.org. That sounds like the most generic website in the world, but it, that's really the website, clinicbuilding.org. And it's going to take you to the website for HCMC's new clinic and specialty center. That building opens up on March 26, 2018, and we couldn't be more excited about that. We're going to consolidate something like 30, 40 clinics, which are scattered across five buildings, into one state-of-the-art building. That's the um, clinicbuilding.org. And as long as I'm telling you about websites, last week we did a show about breast cancer screening with Leah Hahn, the supervisor of our mammography unit, and Dr. Tony Sievert who is uh, the world's best radiologist for women's breast care screening, I think. Well, we had more questions uh, on the text line than we got to during, during the show. So I asked these guys during their busy days to just type out answers to them, and they did that. And so on the, the blog site, which is associated with this show, myhealthymatters.org, you can get your lots more information about mammography from Dr. Sievert and Leah. That's myhealthymatters.org. And so you're going to want to check that out. Um, And that was in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which was in October. The last thing, there's one more website. I want to talk a little bit about the Poison Control Center. Poisoning is the number one cause of injury-related deaths in the United States. And we happen to have one of the best Poison Control Center systems um, in the country. And in Minnesota, we are served by the Minnesota Poison Control Center. And if you want to know more information about that, that website is minpoison.org, mnpoison.org. I'm going to let Dr. Cole say more about that as the, the second half of the show goes on. All right, lots of websites. We have lots of phone calls, lots of text messages. But to reintroduce the topic a little bit, we're talking about carbon monoxide poisoning. And Dr. Christopher Logue is here. He is the director of our Hyperbaric Medicine Chamber. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks, Pleasure and Dr. John Cole, the director of the Poison Control Center. John, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, let's talk a little bit more, Chris, if we could, about prevention of of carbon monoxide. Uh, a couple of text messages are coming in, and um, about ice fish ice fishing houses. And we've had we've talked about your furnaces at home. How can people stay safe in all these places where they are burning? Um, Burning things, basically.
0: Yeah. So unfortunately, we've had at least one fatality related to carbon monoxide poisoning per year since I came here in 2014 from ice fishing houses. So if you're going out on the ice to go fishing and you're going to be in an enclosed area like an ice fishing house uh, and you're going to use a heating device, uh, you, you should have some sort of detector with you. They, they sell handheld CO detectors online. You can get those to bring with you to prevent you from being exposed and, um, while you're ice fishing.
1: You brought one here. Um, Chris has; he's holding it in his hand right now. It looks like a pager, sort of a device. It's got a little digital display. And um, Danny, you'll be glad to know the carbon monoxide levels in the WCCO studios are good. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a we're plus. okay. Doctor Logue <laughs> has a device right here that's telling us that. Tell us more about that device. Should people get one of those?
0: Well, so if, if uh, maybe everyone doesn't necessarily need to get one, but if you if you are around uh, sources of CO uh, like you go ice fishing or those types of things. You may want to have one with you. Um, Even in your home CO detector, you should, of course, have those. And and Dr. Cole spoke about having them on every floor of your house and especially where you sleep. It's a good idea to have one that actually displays the parts per million for you so you can see how much carbon monoxide is in the environment. This particular detector uh, not only displays that, but you can set it to go off at whatever parts per million you choose to so maybe if you have an ice fishing house, I would I would get one of those. You said you've had a, a death every year, every year since I I came here in 2014 from Philadelphia, and we've had a, a at least one fatality from ice fishing per year. Wow! So if
1: you and and, and just for I don't ice fish, and even though I grew up in Minnesota, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out ice fishing. But apparently these these houses are you keep them warm with a furnace or something, huh? Is well, that what it costs? I,
0: I guess I don't. I don't know much about ice fishing. You're from Philly. I'm from Philly, so. Uh, but uh, it really depends. So it depends on how sophisticated your ice fishing house is. I'm learning more about this as I live here longer. So there are people that have very sophisticated ice fishing houses with uh, different types of heating devices. But even smaller tents or things like that, if you're burning a, pro, usually it's a propane-powered heater of some sort. Uh, if it's not exhausting appropriately, you can get significant carbon monoxide levels in those. Okay. And especially if you're going to sleep out on the ice overnight,
1: okay, ice fisher men and women. If you've got a house, a tent, a structure of any kind that you are heating, you're burning anything. If you're burning something, propane or anything, I assume you're not building wood fires out there. But if you're burning something to heat your ice fishing house, this is, is directed at you.
2: Right, we good. go to the phones. Back to the phones. Catherine and Blaine has been waiting. Go ahead, Catherine. Thank you. Yeah. Good morning, uh, gentlemen. I just have a question. I was in my son-in-law's uh uh, it's a diesel truck and i smelled something it could that is that carbon monoxide or i know carbon monoxide doesn't have a smell but uh could that be that i mean i i don't know what it was so i'm just asking
0: sure so that's a great question uh um, remember that carbon monoxide itself the gas it you can't uh Detect it yourself. You can't smell it or it doesn't have any color or taste to it. Um, that being said, uh, you know, you everybody knows what diesel fuel smells like. If the fuel's being burned, right? So carbon monoxide comes from after you combust the fuel. So I've had a lot of people call saying I could smell gas in my house. Unless the gas is actually being ignited, you're not exposed to carbon monoxide. So if, if you're in that diesel truck and the diesel and the motor's running and you're smelling exhaust or what you think smells like exhaust, then it's the potential that you're potentially being exposed to carbon I all the
1: time see like over the road truckers you know at the rest areas or the truck stops and the truck is running and they're probably asleep in the
0: cab in there I would think that might be at least an area of some concern That would be of some concern too yep mm-hmm.
2: All right let's go back to the phones Andrew is calling from Shoreview with a question go ahead Andrew thank you I I'd, I'd like to know what I can do to increase the hemoglobin in my Blood so that it carries more oxygen to my legs when I'm really uh, asleep at night because I get cramps because there's not enough oxygen going to my legs.
0: All right. Thank you for your question, uh, Andrew. Uh, So I think the hidden question there is as somebody who has peripheral arterial disease and has trouble delivering oxygen to their lower extremities, just uh, to put a plug in for the uh, Center for Hyperbaric Medicine, while we do treat carbon monoxide poisoning on a day-to-day basis, we treat people with chronic non-healing lower extremity wounds frequently from from difficulty delivering oxygen to those areas. So we can help people heal wounds in those areas, but as far as – Sort of treating people with claudication or pain from lack of oxygen delivery, uh, uh, that's not something we do there. Yeah, you
1: might want to see your doctor on that one, Andrew, Um, and and there there are some some specialists in peripheral arterial disease that maybe you could see as well.
2: We need to take a quick break here. We will be back with more phone calls and text messages on Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Uh, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We're talking about carbon monoxide poisoning this morning with Dr. Hilden and his guests. And as you can see, Caller's still there? Got a lot going on here. So, um,
1: a question that's sort of coming up a couple times um, through the 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 text threads here and in our conversations is about who needs carbon. Or who needs treatment with hyperbaric oxygen from carbon monoxide poisoning? Because clearly not everybody does. This is not, it's a bigger deal. We don't fly everybody in for this. So John, Dr. Cole, maybe you could start us up. When you get a call with somebody who maybe has symptoms, how do you recommend from the poison center when somebody needs to have treatment in the emergency chamber?
3: So carbon monoxide poisoning is, is one of the most common poisonings in Minnesota. We handle hundreds of calls every year and only you know a handful of those end up needing hyperbaric oxygen. So it's important for people to realize that even if they are unfortunate enough to get carbon monoxide poisoning, uh, not all poisonings require uh, hyperbaric oxygen. People who are rendered unconscious by carbon monoxide poisoning are really high risk for, for neurologic problems down the road. And the, the biggest benefit that comes from the hyperbaric oxygen is prevention of those neurologic problems down the road. You know, how well are you able to function? Can you return to work? can you do your normal activities and and are you still, you know, can you do the things that make you you? Uh, And so a marker for that really is when when you're poisoned to the point of being rendered unconscious, that's a big deal. And we usually involve our hyperbaric colleagues when that happens. There are people who also advocate uh, for hyperbaric oxygen when you have poisoning severe enough to cause or mimic the symptoms of a heart attack. And mimic is probably the wrong word, but a lack of delivery of oxygen to the heart sometimes is is a marker of severe poisoning too. Although that's a little bit more controversial, but those are questions that we often field. And uh, and probably the most important thing is a to stop the exposure and then b to get the patient on 100% oxygen by a mask as soon as possible. Right so our colleagues in firefighting and EMS are really critical for this.
1: One of the questions um, the, uh, that's that's kind of along those lines. It's um, it, it said. Um, I'm just going to read this. Sorry, I lost it there. That's why I'm stumbling a little bit. I lost the text message here. Um, Oh, here it is. Once the symptoms are suggestive of CO poisoning, is there a definitive test
3: for it? So there's a few of those. So um, uh, there's a blood test, and the the analyzer you need is called a co-oximeter. And what it does is it gives you the percentage of your blood hemoglobin that has been turned into carboxyhemoglobin. So... Those taxi cabs, it's basically the percent that are full of CO passengers. Uh, and there are sort of, it's not, there's not consensus, but there are certain levels that sort of get our attention. So we start to consider hyperbaric oxygen around 20 to 25, depending on which literature you read. And above 40 is a really, really generally a sick person. And some people advocate hyperbaric oxygen even for people above 40, regardless of the symptoms, although again, that's controversial. Uh, but that that test is what you need. There is that, not every hospital is capable of running that test, especially in you know rural areas where you have to consider what resources a hospital is going to staff for for your local community. There are um, bedside tests where you can put uh, the equivalent of a pulse oximeter on. Uh, the common company for that that we use is called Massimo, and they, um, they can give you a, it's just like checking your pulse or doing a pulse ox even in clinic. And it can read out the percentage of uh, carboxyhemoglobin. It's not as reliable as the blood test, so we have some issues sometimes with under or over reporting and false positives and false negatives. But it's a reasonable screening test. Good,
1: uh, uh, Doctor Log. Someone here says my son was in a CO or a, a chamber, a hyperbaric chamber in St. Cloud. You said you're the only one in the region. What are you talking about?
0: Uh, so we're the, we're the only emergency hyperbaric facility staffed 24 seven. There are hyperbaric chambers throughout Minnesota that uh, you know Monday through Friday during work hours treat non-emergent conditions like non-healing diabetic foot ulcers and radiation injury. But uh, the one at HCMC is the only emergency hyperbaric facility in the region.
1: Here's a text message, and we have phone callers. I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to get to everything. But here's one that says, My husband got carbon monoxide poisoning some years ago from running a wood splitter just outside of an open garage door. The splitter was outside the garage, but apparently the carbon monoxide was pushed out of the back end into the garage that's, you know, it's stuff you don't even think about.
0: Yep, that's very common. And uh, we see a lot of folks who are operating gasoline powered engines in enclosed areas and not realizing about the risk for carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, unfortunately, a common scenario is operating a gasoline powered power washer in your basement. Um, So you can do it that way. And then what makes – Good idea. That's not a good idea. And what always makes me nervous is any weather emergency where we're going to have wide power outages and you're going to use your generator. We see a lot of generator-related CO poisonings. I was working in Philadelphia when Hurricane Sandy came through and we had 8.1 million homes without electricity. And we had a lot of carbon monoxide poisonings. we needed to treat at that time.
1: All really good advice. Dr. John Cole, Medical Director of the Minnesota Poison Control Center. Dr. Christopher Logue, uh, Director of the Hyperbaric Medicine Program at
2: HCMC. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. And we hope you join us again next week. And what are we going to be talking we're going about?
1: To talk, we're going to get a urologist on. Man, we're going to talk about problems of your urology, incontinence, and things like that. It's going to be a great Sunday morning topic. You're going to want to tune in. <laughs> Very good. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for
0: one, they're listening to audio.
1: Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?